0: The gospel was already delivered to the Jews early on, and the gospel was going out to the Jews primarily in synagogues, in small home fellowships. They were getting the gospel out, but mostly it was Jews. And then there were the Samaritans that started hearing about the good news. And as they got saved, it seemed like, oh, there's something a little different. But they were Jews also. They were just not at the top level of being Jewish. They were uh, the next level down. As far as being a Jew goes, that's how you saw things. Samaritans thought they had it right, and the Jews... Uh, The Hebrews that were dwelling in Jerusalem had it a little off, but then when you talk about Gentiles, well, that's a a different ball of wax altogether. Uh, Gentiles were not really part of the initial draw into Christianity. But we see that that's going to change. So, uh, chapter 10 opens in Caesarea. Caesarea was the Roman capital that was 30 miles north of Joppa on the coast, and Caesarea was very Roman. Now, you have to understand that back then, the Romans. Conquered the Greeks, but there was still a lot of Greek influence in society at that time. The Greeks were polytheistic, so they worshiped many gods, while the Romans were more monotheistic. They believed in one God. Uh, some of them went along with the polytheism, but most of them stayed true to the idea of one God. And I'm sure the crucifixion really drew a lot of people in to the truth because they saw someone die for their faith in what they believed. And then every apostle after that that was being murdered, the disciples that were being killed, they were seeing how this was different than religion. No one's going to die for Apollo or for Diana. And here, these people were dying. They were giving their life for the name of Jesus. Peter is going to be stretched in this chapter. He recognizes that Jesus is doing something different than the religious system that he came out of. He was used to being Jewish. He was used to following Laws and rules and the disciplines of being a Jew. The dietary disciplines and and the legalism that was required for Jews. He was still following most of the Mosaic law, even though he had become a Christian. He still felt us Now, for Christians today... We often say, well, we don't live under the law. And that's absolutely true. We don't live, we live under grace. Okay, but here's the thing what's wrong with the law? I mean, is there any law that you can point out that you can say, well, I don't need to obey that? Thou shalt not murder. I can do what I want. No, that's, that's, a guideline so that if we say, hey, you know what, I'm going to continue following the Ten Commandments, not in a legalistic way, not in a way that says, you know what, the Ten Commandments get me into heaven. They don't. It's grace. It's Jesus that gets us into heaven. But if we say, hey, you know what, that's a good starting place. I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm not going to put any other gods before him. I'm not going to lie, cheat, steal, murder. I'm not going to commit adultery. All of these things are good, right? So why do we act like, oh, I'm not under that bondage? Oh yeah, the bondage of murder. I don't want, you know, I don't, don't, if I feel like murdering today, I just want to, I want to have that freedom to go out and do Ridiculous, right? And, and so Peter saw that as a way to live. Okay, I'm going to continue doing these things. I'm going to continue following those laws, but I'm living for Christ. And you know that by how he addressed the Sanhedrin, how he addressed the scribes and, and the Pharisees that came against him. He, he was right in their face. He said, you guys got it wrong, you know, and Jesus is the Messiah you've been looking for. You just missed out on that. So today's message is titled Peter's Problem, and we continue our study with Acts chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 1, starting, where it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. See, I like him already. The Italian regiment, right? And and a devout man and one who feared God with all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So here was the centurion. A, A centurion is a Roman military officer. He's over 100 men. That's what makes him a centurion. And we're told that he honored and he feared God. Now fearing God doesn't mean, oh, I'm afraid of God. Fearing God means I respect him. And because I respect God, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow his ways. Uh, The fear of God shouldn't be, we shouldn't look at God like I'm afraid of God. When my children were growing up, they feared me in a healthy way. Because they knew that I had military training. No, that's not why. They feared me in a healthy way because they knew that I would instill discipline when it was necessary. But they knew that I loved them above and beyond anything. And so although I was going to apply discipline, I was also going to show them the love of Christ and, and raising them and loving them and nurturing them. They recognized that. They recognize it more today at at 12 and 14. They, they weren't recognizing it as much. Everything I did was, you know, oh, I'm being persecuted. Kind of like Christians today. And so Rome had conquered the Greeks, and now there were these pockets of Roman uh, civilization, and one of them was Caesarea, this pocket of Roman civilization. And there was this man, Cornelius, who was a believer. And it says his whole household was a believer. They gave alms to the people and prayed to God Always. I believe that Cornelius was at the crucifixion. Because when Passover happened and Jesus was crucified, there were up to a million people that came into Jerusalem at that time. And Rome knew this was going to happen. It was a planned event. And Rome knew they better have people there to watch over things, to make sure, things didn't get out of hand. And so they just brought in their teams and probably one of them was Cornelius and his hundred men came in to Jerusalem at that time. And if he wasn't at the cross during the crucifixion, he was close enough to know what was going on. They were all aware of what was happening there in Jerusalem. And I believe that he was impacted by that. Now, he may even have been a believer before then. We don't know. He may have uh, seen Jesus teaching, heard him teach in other locations, and you know believed before Jesus even went to the cross. Cornelius was a generous man, giving to the poor, and we are told that he... Prayed to God always. Was he a priest? Was he a scribe? Was he a Pharisee? No, he was a Roman that prayed to God always. And I think that's important for us to see that it isn't the fact that he was a religious ruler. He was a person. Yeah, he held a rank in office there, but he was not in a religious system. But he prayed to God always. You would expect a pastor to pray to God a lot. And I do. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of reasons to pray. And so I couldn't do this Without a lot of prayer. Because I would fall apart. But I find myself coming out week after week to teach the word of God. I'm energized to do it. I'm motivated to come and do what God wants me to do. And that's not because I am so good at this. It's because of the fact the Holy Spirit motivates me and I use prayer to keep myself ready. If I just gave up on prayer. And just decided to come up. And, and teach week after week. I, I'm sure I would burn out. I'm sure I would experience. That, that feeling of. You know what I'm fatigued. I, I need you know to take a month or two off. Now I may need to take a month or two off. You know. But. Uh, The good news is God gives me the power to come back up here week after week. Cheryl says, let's take a month off, you know, and and I understand that because the pastor's wife is much harder than being a pastor. So I point this out because many people expect um, pastors to be praying, to be doing the things that God, but everyone is called to do that. So, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes three things. Well, first, he started with rejoice always. Rejoice always. And so, that's a good start. Rejoicing about every... It says always, so that means all the time. Rejoice in whatever situation you're in. Rejoice in it. And the second one is pray without ceasing. So that's what we're told Cornelius did. He prayed without ceasing. The third thing that we're told is to give thanks in all things. And it didn't say give thanks sometimes. It says in all things. So it's saying rejoice always. Pray always. Give thanks always. Why? Because this is the will of God the Father in Christ Jesus for you. Paul wrote that in First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. Now, here's the thing. It hadn't been written yet. Cornelius was doing this. Before he was told to do it. Because God inspired him to do this. And he was motivated by the Holy Spirit to do this. So we can add this to our own life. When people say, well, what is the will of God? I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Well, now you know. Those three things are a good starting place. Now I know what the will of God is. And so there are people that are going to go before the Lord and the Lord's going to say, I didn't know you. You know, because you didn't do the will of my father. That's the reason why he doesn't know them. They did not do the will of the father. And so if they're confused as to what it is, here it is. You could just turn there. Those are good memory verses because they're short and easy. And you don't have to remember it in the King James Version. You just remember it in the very simple, abbreviated way. Rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always. And that's something we can adopt in our way of life. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw... In a vision, an angel of God. We're talking about Cornelius here. An angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. How exciting. Here he is, just a normal guy prays on a regular basis, give alms on a regular basis, and now an angel comes and speaks with him. We don't see angels coming and speaking to Gentiles. That isn't a normal thing, but here it is. This angel coming and speaking to a Gentile. Um, the ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. And so it was a time of prayer for the Jews. Cornelius obviously has adopted that and thought, hey, that's a good thing to do. So I will adopt that as part of my regular routine. You know, we can adopt things as that we see others like, you know, when Muslims... Um, you know they have the call to prayer, and they have their their minarets that announce the call to prayer. And they and if if you ever go to a country that actually has, um, or even here in the United States, there are places that you can go and you can hear the call to prayer from these Muslim uh, temples, and it's pretty annoying. It it sounds like someone. Having their leg ripped off and they're they're um, moaning through a. Um, if I offended anyone, I- I'm sorry, um, it, but it's a fact. And and so, really, um, what it is is just their way of calling together to pray to their false god. But we know the one, the one true God. We can come together and pray in His name. We can. Pick out our own times. You know, I I know what times I like to pray. And and I start, like, right when I get up, I come out and I I spend some time in prayer with the Lord. And sometimes it's at 5, sometimes it's 5.30, sometimes it's 6. And I just spend time before the Lord at that time. That's what works for me. You know, and then other times during the day, usually when I'm hungry, that's a good time to pray, right? And and that was also part of their practice even uh, back then as we're going to see. So here's this angel talking to Cornelius and his prayers had come up before the Lord. It was a memorial before God. How would you like that? How would you like an angel to come and say, hey, Guess what? Your prayers, your alms, have come up as a memorial before the Lord. I want you to be sure that your prayers and your alms, your giving, is known by the Lord. He may not send an angel to come to you, but he knows what your prayers are. Sometimes he even answers them. Are you waiting for the answer? Do you recognize the answer? Sometimes we don't. We pray for people and we say, Okay, Lord, heal them. And and then they get healed. And we oh man, they had a good doctor over there, you know, at, at, at you know this hospital. It was really and we give credit to the instrument rather than to the God who did the healing. And and so we need to be thoughtful in our prayers, and we need to remember when we pray who it is we're praying to, the one that can answer our prayers. He is not only a God hearing prayers, he's a God answering prayers. And if we don't trust that he will answer then what's the point of asking? You know, my son would come and ask me for money when he wanted to go out and he didn't have money. And he would come asking for money. And he knew the deal. Come and ask for more than you know that I'm going to give you. and, um, And then we'll negotiate to a fair price. You know, but the truth is, when you ask... Ask God exactly what's on your heart and if it's in line with his will, he will provide it. It may not be in your timing, but God will, he he doesn't have an economic problem. He's not worried about the economy. There's no inflation in his world unless he creates it. So we know that God can answer our prayers, God wants to answer our prayers, all we have to do is be ready uh, to pray and then to hear his answer when we pray. So now the angel is telling Cornelius what to do. Now, send men to Joppa, verse 5, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. So I like this because he's giving him instructions. This is where to go. Send these men to Joppa. And Peter is the person that you're looking for in Joppa. He's lodging with Simon. Now he's giving more amplifying information. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So now they know exactly where to find Simon Peter. He will tell you what you must do. So here are the instructions. Go. Go. Here's the person to go to, find him, and he's going to tell you what to do. And so they still don't know what to do. They still don't know what Peter's going to tell them, but he was given instructions, and here are the step-by-step instructions of what to do. I like that. I like the fact that he listens to what the instructions are, and he's ready to implement those instructions. And when the angel who spoke with him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius selects two of his personal. But we are told earlier that his whole household were believers. His whole household was saved. And here is a devout soldier, one that works for him, that's under him, but he's devout. I don't believe it's speaking of devout as being he's devout to me, He's a good soldier, and and he does exactly, but devout to God, because here he is, devout soldier that waited on him continually, and now he's going to be sent. This devout, if he was devout to him, it would have been a different terminology, but here he is explaining to them to go do these things, so he was devout to God, and I believe that he was around Cornelius so much that he got saved by Cornelius, by his life, by his actions. Now, some may say, well, maybe the soldier was saved first, and then Cornelius got saved from the soldier because he was a devout soldier. Well, if so, I think God would have gone to the soldier instead of going to Cornelius, right? Because the the soldier was more devout. That actually led Cornelius to Christ. So the soldier would have been the guy to go to. God knows who is doing what. And he uses them accordingly. So we see a man of God doing what he's supposed to do. Without being told all the details. I'd like details. I want to know What's going to happen next week and the week after? I want to have all the plans. I want it on the calendar. Hey, it's not on the calendar. Cheryl's really good about keeping the calendar. When I make plans on the phone with someone, I hang up the phone and Cheryl says, did you put it on the calendar? You know, well, I don't know. No, I I didn't put it on the calendar. Well, you should put it on a calendar because then how am I going to know when that time I may plan something? You know, oh, okay, well, We'll put it on. I want details so that I can look at the calendar and say, oh, I know I can't do these things. I just want someone else to take care of it. She says, I have to. So, you know, and I understand that. These are things that I plan, right? If you plan things for your life and you don't include the people that are involved in your life, um, you're only going to cause yourself some trouble. One cultural thing to understand. A Jew won't touch a Gentile. There's no you know, high fives, handshakes, hugs between Jews and Gentiles. And so here is a Gentile being told, send some guys and go get this Jewish man, Simon Peter, and bring him here. And he's going to tell you what you need to know. See, if they touch, then there has to be a ritual cleansing period. If a Jewish man goes into a Gentile home, once again, he's defiled. He has to go through a cleansing period. But here's Peter dwelling in the house of a tanner. A tanner is a person who... Um, uh, tans the hides of animals. So they deal with dead animals. And a person that deals with dead animals was considered unclean. So Peter um, touching the tanner and shaking hands with him would be the same as shaking hands with the Gentile. You're unclean. But then he was staying in his house. So that was really bad. So we see that Peter is starting to move away from some of the very strict applications of Mosaic law and and is finding some freedom um, in Christ. And so he sends them to go pick up Peter the next day. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the house top to pray about the sixth hour and So here is Peter hanging out at simon 's house he's been there a while now in Joppa, and he goes up to the roof to pray. These men at three o'clock in the afternoon, the angel had come to Cornelius and so Cornelius was told what he needed to do. By 4 o'clock, those men were leaving and going from Caesarea to Joppa. Remember, it was 30 miles apart. Usually, the normal day of travel was about 20 miles. Uh, These guys were probably on animals moving at a faster clip than that. But they probably started out about 4 p.m., stopped about dusk, and then picked it back up in the morning and started their travels again. Six hours later, it was noon, and now they're approaching Joppa, where uh, Peter was. And uh, Peter is there um, going up to the roof. It says... The housetop to pray about the sixth hour. That's noon. So when you consider what was going on in this picture, Peter was going up to pray. He wanted to get away from the distractions down below. I understand that. Have you ever gone to pray and you've been distracted? Uh, it's inevitable. You can go into the closet, but if you forgot to mute your phone, you're in trouble. It's going to start buzzing, ringing, or whatever the case may be. You know, there are all of a sudden going to be noises on the street of trucks going up and down, and you're wondering, what's going on? You know, and and you have to look. You know, or maybe that's the time that your spouse comes to you and says, oh, hey, I, I need something. Every time it's something, when I go to pray, there's something going on and it tries to distract me. But I don't let it. I can continue on and I find another, I'll get it out of the way, whatever the distraction is, and then I go back. Peter, he decided the roof was the best place. The, the least interruptions up there on the roof. Verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. There's another distraction, right? I'm hungry. And you know, some of you are experiencing that right now. Okay. And, and I know that, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So they were cooking the food. So he's up on the roof. Where did the smells all go? Up to the roof. Here he is hungry. His stomach is grumbling and he falls into a trance. That's not okay if you're here in church. Stay with us here, all right? Don't fall into a trance, even if you're hungry. So As he falls into this trance, it's not one of these mystical, uh, weird things. Uh, He is seeing a vision. The the Lord is going to show him a vision. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter, James, and John were there and Jesus said, come pray with me, and they all fell asleep because they were tired. Okay, that's another distraction of the enemy to find some way. Food was the distraction so on and so on. But when the Lord wants to get your attention, he knows how to. And Peter saw heaven open up and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So here's this sheet bound up at the four corners. All of you are picturing a white sheet, I know. And, and, and it's these animals, why is it like a sheet? Because if it were this big white sheet that all the animals were in, their legs would rip right through it, they'd fall right to the ground. So it wasn't a sheet, it was like a sheet. And so here we get sometimes caught up in a, a lot of the, the stuff that really doesn't matter. Here's what matters. There were animals in it, clean animals and unclean animals, things that they were told they can eat, things that they were told they can't eat as Jews. They were directed that they weren't allowed to eat any animals, only the animals that chewed the cud or had a cloven hoof. Those were the animals they were allowed to eat. Everything else was off limits. So here's Peter. He sees this image coming down. It unfolds, and there are the animals on the sheet. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So here is Peter seeing this. Being a good Jew, he's never eaten unclean. Am- he's never enjoyed a good lobster, and here he is seeing this come down in front of him. And he knows it's the voice of the Lord saying, "Eat." I want you to kill these animals. I want you to eat them. And Peter saying. What? No way. I have never done this. No, Lord. But that's the greatest contradiction in the Bible, right? No, Lord. <laughs> oh, really? That's your Lord that you just told? No. And how often do we tell the Lord no? How often does the Lord tell us something that we don't want to do? That, oh, oh no, Lord, that's not part of my purview. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, if I just told you that's what you're supposed to be doing, you should. It'd be best for you. So I understand that sometimes we think we know what's best for us, but really it's always the Lord that knows what's best for us. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what we're going to need a week, a year from now. But if we do things our way all the time, we end up getting in trouble and then we end up missing out on the blessings of the Lord because he's setting us up to walk in his will and to be blessed by him, to do something that will bless us. And when he blesses us, then we can say, It was the Lord that did that. But if we're just focused on the things that we think are most important, we may miss out on the blessings completely. It's important in our world today to not get caught up in anything going on in the world as if it were from God. What am I talking about? Well, people look at events taking place in the world and they say, Oh, this is from God. Oh, this is from God. Why? Why do you think that's from God? Did God say it was from God? Well, no, but I can see how that would be something that God would do. No, I can see that's how you think. It's something that God would do. See, Peter didn't think the animals coming down were the thing that he should be doing. Oh, no, I shouldn't be eating any of those things. But God said, yeah, yeah, you are. That's what I want you to do. I want you to do that. Well, we get caught up in what we think is right and wrong. And Paul wrote about this. He wrote about some people that didn't want to eat meat. And wanted to be vegetarians. And then he said, hey, don't you hold others to your level of what you would expect people to be doing. If you don't like it, then don't do it. But don't you hold someone else to that. And you who eat meat, don't go eating meat in front of, you know, People that don't eat meat just to get in their face about it. Just eat the vegetables that they offer you and and be okay with it. But see, we can want everyone else to agree with what we believe and then try to manipulate them into doing what we think they should be doing. That's something going on in the world today. Depending on which news channel you watch, you can build a perspective that tells you what to believe. And then if the other people are watching the other news channel and they believe something different, they're wrong. I'm the one that's right. I know I watch the right news channel. And so I've got this correct. Correct. You know, and I believe the Lord is getting us to a place right now where He says, shut off all news channels. They don't have the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so follow what I'm telling you, stick to the truth, and you're going to be okay. And I believe that that's the best advice. That we can give anyone in the world today. That, you know, because I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I, I don't know the definition of a woman. I Yes, I do. I was given to it by God. So I, I do know. But the world doesn't know. You know, the, so don't. Try to sign on with what someone in the world tells you, what they believe. Uh, instead, sign on to what we know to be true and trust in what we know to be true. I digress. And so back to our story and Peter had seen this now. And now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had come, uh, been sent from Cornelius, had made inquiry into Simon's house, uh, for uh, inquiry for Simon's house, and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname Peter, was lodging there. So notice the men were standing at the gate. Okay, so... Why? Because they, as Gentiles, knew that this was a Jewish house and that Peter was a Jew, and they knew not to go in. You don't just go barging into the courtyard. And they were standing at the gate. Oh, there was probably a sign no soliciting or Gentiles, but they were going to stay outside the gate because they respected and. They were ready to hear from Peter, but they were still not just going to barge in. Then in verse 19, we read, When Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So, it's interesting because in verse 17 it said, Now while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant. And then in verse 19 it says, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him. You see, he was dwelling on what God had showed him. That's what we need to do more of. We need to dwell on The word of God. What God shows us through his word. We need to spend time dwelling on it. Considering what it would mean to us. Peter didn't quite understand what was going on. Have you ever read scripture that you didn't quite understand how it applied to you? It happens to me all the time. I read scripture and I say, hmm. It means something I just don't know what. And I pray about it. And I dwell on it. I consider it. And then, behold, three men are seeking you. See, the Holy Spirit told them what was happening. And now all of a sudden the vision is going to become clear. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubt, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Doubting nothing. Man, isn't that a tough one? When the Lord sends you to do something, you have to doubt nothing and go to see what it is the Lord is going to do. I, I sometimes doubt it it was, was that from the Lord? Was the Lord telling me to do this? Did the Lord want me to, you know, buy my new car? My old car was given up and I wanted to, you know, buy a new car. It, which one did the Lord want me to buy? I I was looking at the Yugo. Um, see, some of you don't even know what a Yugo is. Um, I I was looking at you know a used vehicle. Used vehicles were more expensive than new ones, and so I looked and I said, okay, Lord, is this the one? Uh, you know that I'm supposed to and. The Lord didn't tell me. So was I supposed to wait until the Lord told me? Yeah, it was like, I don't care. You know, if you think it's financially wise to purchase the car and that would fit well with, you know, how you use vehicles, then go through. So sometimes we don't get a specific answer from the Lord about a specific thing like buying a car. You know, but Lord, do you think that I go to this nightclub and um, you know go hang out and witness in a nightclub? I sometimes I think the Lord would answer us almost immediately. He may say something like, "What are you stupid?" Um, you know, that's just you know. But we should use common sense in decisions that we make, also. And so, when we approach the Lord asking him something, we should use common sense. And I believe that Peter is open to whatever the Lord's going to do. And he uses common sense in figuring out how these things fit together. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in, wow, that's something new, and lodged them And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa uh, accompanied him. Wow, that's something completely new in the life of Peter. I am going to invite Gentiles into this. I'm, I'm wondering if Simon the Tanner said, what are you doing? You know, because I don't know where Simon the Tanner was compared to where Simon Peter was. You know, but here, it, here they are coming into his house. The walls are coming down. It's changing drastically, quickly. Can you imagine how hard it was for Peter who lived his whole life following the law, doing what was right, And now all of a sudden being told, I'm opening up the doors. There's something new. And I don't want to. And some people say, well, I don't know that he should have done that. Some people actually believe that. I don't know that Peter should have. You know, maybe he shouldn't, you know. And, And it's just people that are hung up in legalism. We need to listen to the Lord, not the law. Because he created the law. And then he sent Jesus to fulfill the law. And to show us what the law was. It was a tutor that taught us our need for Jesus. And now we live under grace. Don't you like grace? I like grace so much more than the law. And I don't think I could ever live by the law. I would have a lot of trouble with that. So here's Peter figuring this all out. What what can we take away from this teaching? Well, first, Cornelius set a great example for every Christian. He was a great example. He prayed always. He gave alms generously. His household was saved. They all loved this man. Even the Jews got along with him and they liked him. So he was a good example for us. He feared God, prayed continuously, and gave alms generously. Here was a Roman centurion that had a relationship with God without being part of Judaism, without first converting to Judaism and then being in a relationship with God through the law. Second, Peter was obedient. Peter's problem was that he was trusting in his own righteous acts through following the law. And that was a problem for him. Because when we trust in our own righteousness, our righteousness as filthy rags. It doesn't save us. Unfortunately, many people trust in their own righteousness and their own good works. And Peter was learning that wasn't going to cut it. He made the connection that God is doing something that Peter never expected him to do. He got it. And he started acting on it. His action demonstrates an acceptance of God's direction for the church. Are we accepting God's direction for the church? Now, here's a problem. There are so many churches out there, and some of them are going in weird directions. You know, they're, they're even saying, well, Jesus wasn't the only begotten Son of God. He wasn't born of a virgin. He didn't rise from the dead. Churches that teach that, first of all, shouldn't be called a church. And then those people who believe such things, um, they should tell us where they get that information from because it's not from the Bible. And so if they want to believe that, they're, they're more than welcome to. You know, we're not here to disqualify every religion out there. They are all disqualified on their own merit. But Churches that call themselves Christian need to adhere to what Christianity teaches. And it's not what I teach, I mean it is what I teach, but because I teach the word of God. I teach the Bible. But it's not, if I teach anything that contradicts the word of God, then it's thrown out. It's disqualified. I am not representing God well. And so we need to know that whoever is teaching is teaching accurately the word of God, the truth of the word of God. Sometimes we get so caught up in traditions that we struggle when God shows us something new. Hold on, I've been taught this all of my life. This is what I've been taught. I I was raised in the Catholic Church. And fortunately, I don't remember much of it. I, I don't speak Latin, and I didn't understand half of what I was being told. And, you know, but after leaving the Catholic Church and hearing the truth, I just knew that what I was told wasn't true. It, it didn't fit. And so it was traditions that held me in that church. It was, you know, the things that made us feel comfortable. Oh, that smells holy. You know, when they have the incense and everything, oh, that smells so holy, you know, and the lights and everything and all the candles, you know, it really makes you feel like you're in a holy place, you know, the holy water and, and all of that, you know, and the reality is that's traditions of men. We need to break away from them and stick to the truth of the word of God. Like Cornelius, we need to continue to faithfully stay connected to God. And then like Peter, we need to be ready to change direction when God calls us to a new place. Then we'll see the hand of God moving in and through us. Amen.